Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Mount Tabor Park in southeast Portland was recently named the nation's first urban quiet park. It got that honor from Quiet Parks International, a nonprofit that aims to, quote, save quiet for the benefit of all life. The organization has recognized nine other urban quiet parks around the world, including in London, Taipei, and Barcelona. Jacob Schmidt is a volunteer technician with Quiet Parks International. He took audio measurements at Mount Tabor Park, and he joins us now to talk about quiet. Jacob, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. When did you first start being really of co- really conscious of places that don't have loud human sounds? I think it was once I was put into those places with loud human sounds. I grew up somewhere fairly quiet and then went to college in Chicago and was quick to realize how much I cherished that quiet I had at home. Where'd you grow up? Uh, in a small town near Dallas, Texas. And it just at night, at, at home, what would you hear? Um, there, it's they get a lot of migratory birds, so I'd be hearing all kinds of owls. My parents just sent me photos of Mississippi kites that were outside the house. And I think with how spacious and open and flat Texas is, it was surprising to get so much quiet. But I've noticed in the last 10 years visiting there, how much noisier it's gotten, how much louder the highway is, how many less trees there are to block some of that noise. So huh. just, kind of just in 10 years, environment. you've noticed an up an uptick in decibels. Definitely. It's just from my the back door of the house, you can hear much, much louder. You can hear the highway noise from much further. It was interesting at night, you could hear the highway noise of the highway with 10 miles away, but now it's the highway's gotten closer. Literally. <laughs> yes. Hmm. When did you start getting involved with this group, Quiet Parks International? So in school, I just tried to learn about acoustic ecology and environmental acoustics because I started piquing my interest with audio work. I learned about Gordon Hempton and his book, One Scrunch of Silence. Uh, read it quite a few times and made a pilgrimage to the One Scrunch a couple times in Olympic National Park. And I actually contacted him to be an advisor for some projects of mine in school. And that's when we started connecting real well and learned a lot more. And then I uh, moved out to near Portland, Oregon. I'm in Corvallis. And I know that they had some parks up for nomination through Quiet Parks International, which he was able to help start a few years ago. And then just started hitting the ground running as a volunteer, trying to get, get work done, get parks awarded, and connect with those folks at the top of Quiet Parks. What kinds of quiet places have they recognized in the past? They've worked with those urban quiet parks. Um, I have the map pulled up now. If anybody was ever interested, quietparks.org has an interactive Google map with the overlay of all the nominations and awarded parks. But it's been a lot more concentration in Europe, Italy, Spain, Sweden, and then um, a couple wilderness areas that are in motion to be awarded soon, like Glacier National Park has been awarded as a wilderness quiet park. And a few others in the U.S. Boundary Waters also was able to be nominated or awarded. So there's quite a few nominations and just need volunteers to start awarding. 
Although a lot closer than those um, are the what's called the one square inch of silence in mm-hmm. Olympic National Park, which which you mentioned. What's it like there? I mean, what did you experience when you went there? I think it's it's tough because it's in a national park and it's a very busy trail, the Ho Rainforest Trail. So it's not particularly the quietest place in the world, just as Tabor isn't the quietest urban park in Portland. But it's a pilgrimage that people make, kind of an idea of bringing quiet. Gordon always professed the idea that if noise propagates from one area, like if noise spreads out logarithmically around itself, then why not try and spread quiet in the same property? It's more of a human behavior than it is a literal there's not something out there absorbing noise and taking noise away from the environment but those that know about it can go out there and bring quiet and it's it is definitely one of the quietest places around that river is is roaring usually in the spring so it can be a little noisy although i guess i mean that's that's a key point here right i mean what you're focused on and and what quiet parks international is focused on is human noises. So it's okay to have a waterfall be thundering. What you don't want to hear is a plane overhead or somebody walking through with a a, a Bluetooth speaker. Right. Yes. The speaker in the backpack always gets me. <laughs> is that, that's a relatively new thing, right? To be, to be so common. Yes, it is. And more and more people have been getting out of the outdoors, especially since quarantine and COVID, but, and some people can be uncomfortable with that kind of quiet, especially being in a wilderness area where you think the only thing around you is big bears and mountain lion. So I totally understand using a speaker like that, but I think it's becoming comfortable with that quiet when you can hear a much further distance. That's what he always talked about at once branch was that you could hear much further out around you when there's a lot less anthropogenic noise around you. And he was able to get, he tried to, the whole book is about him trying to get the OSI as a no-fly zone. And it didn't quite work at the federal level, but he went to actual airlines and asked them to treat it as a no-fly zone. And it was very successful with most airlines flying over there. Meaning, so that that's OSI, one square inch of silence mm-hmm. in the Olympic National Park. So now planes, they go around it in general? Yes, a lot of planes choose a different flight path to try and get around that area. I think there's a couple airlines that weren't able to, but I know Alaska, American, and a few others were. And you'll still hear, like I visited it before when uh, trail work was heavy in June, and they were flying bridges, like bridge building pieces up the trail with a helicopter. And so there, there is noise inherent in just running a park. So it's, it's not escaped completely, but it is... Nine times out of ten, going to be one of the quieter places you'll be able to visit. What's special to you about quiet parks or places in the middle of an urban area as opposed to a, a designated national park or, or a designated wilderness area? It's a much more accessible escape. I really struggled in Chicago to try and find some of those quiet places. It took me all four years, and I nominated lots of them in the Chicago area, so hopefully they'll be awarded soon enough. But just thinking of someone that has no transportation means other than public or just their feet, they need to be able to get some kind of quiet accessible to them before they start facing some of the side effects of too much noise, like agitation, stress that's just induced from so much noise. And Tabor being on the eastern side of Portland is more accessible to a bigger group of people that probably need that kind of quiet that might be facing noise regularly every day. So that's why you've 
focus there as opposed to uh, a much larger and and I assume potentially much quieter park or a park, I'm thinking about Forest Park, that has pockets that are much further away from from people noise. That's why you didn't go to the west side? Yes, definitely. When you look at a, a map of Portland and you see how much green space is on the west side and you can also see there's I, I love American Forests. I don't know if you've ever seen their website before, but AmericanForest.org, they have a tree equity score that you can take a look at. And it's very interesting to see how in city planning, be it intentional or not, that a lot of the more lower income and impoverished areas have the least amount of green space. And that greenery can absorb noise, of course, but also absorb heat. And as we've been having these heat waves every summer in the PNW, a lot of the lower income areas are going to be the most hit when they're just in a concrete building with no trees around them because they've all been taken down when it was originally built, then it, they're going to need some kind of place to escape to on that side of town. We, we've definitely talked um, in recent years about shade equity or tree equity, but I, we, I don't think we've ever talked about sand equity, but you actually see those as connected. Definitely. And when I grew up in my acoustics background, learning at school and learning about possibly working for um, – construction companies that want to build new airport runways, for an example, you'll find that around the airport is usually the cheapest housing and typically lowest income people end up having to live there because it's the only place they can afford. And now they're hearing airplanes all hours of the day flying overhead or landing, whatever it may be. And without some kind of be it natural or human built noise abatement structure, like a tree is the natural one or some kind of large wall to try and block some of that noise, then they're taking the brunt of it at all times. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about quiet, in particular, quiet urban spaces. This is because Mount Tabor Park in southeast Portland was recently named the nation's first urban quiet park. Jacob Schmidt is with us. He is a, a volunteer technician for the international group um, that named Mount Tabor this. So what did you do? How did you actually go about measuring assessing the quiet in Mount Tabor Park? So I luckily with my day-to-day work, my 40 hours a week are Monday through Thursday. So I had Fridays and the weekend open to try and get up to Portland. I live in Corvallis, so just driving an hour half up and spend a lot of time. It's really the goal is to spend time, record what kind of noises you are hearing, like even just writing them down. But I would also use the NIOSH SLM app on my phone to take LAEQ and other decibel measurements and then take recordings on a digital recorder. I have a Tascam DR40. And it's it's really easy. to just, it, It's more about time and noting what you're hearing and how many noises you are hearing than it is having some kind of expensive professional equipment to tell you if it's quiet or not. Hmm. It, it almost sounds like meditation the way you're describing it. It truly is. And that's what we're trying to seek in these urban parks is a place for people to find their own kind of peace and quiet, be it meditation or whatever else they may want to find when they're in quiet space. And one of my favorite things that I saw in Tabor was people in the little nooks and crannies sitting under a large old growth, just reading their book or taking in the peace themselves. Hmm. Although, I mean, so there are nooks and crannies for that, but Mount Tabor is big and, and diverse. I mean, it also has people playing basketball or walking dogs or having dance parties or, mm-hmm. you know, once a year, the, the soapbox derby. Did you have to seek out, a, you know, a relatively unpeopled part of the park? 
it was pretty different every time I visited. And the awesome thing about it being a cinder cone volcano is that if there's too much noise on that one side, climb up and over the top and drop down the other side and you'll find a different spot. So I measured all around from the very top and then had four different spots outside of the top where I would basically in the cardinal directions around the park itself to try and measure. And so some days were different at all of them. Wednesdays at the park are very different um, whenever the dance group is out there. But that's also a part of what we want to see is that they are a community space and community makes noise. We as humans do. And it's kind of accepting that that occurs where we can find peace. If we're just trying to push out every single noise, then you're going to have to come out to the coast range of Oregon to actually find that kind of peace. But that's way more inaccessible than right in the middle of Portland with Mount Tabor. How quiet was it at its quietest? I mean, and I, I and I think most people who are listening don't understand or don't speak in in um, in decibel numbers. So if you can <laughs> if you can put it in terms of of comparative noises. Hmm. So it is around forty three. I heard under around thirty eight dB. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's logarithmic, and so any three decibels is a doubling to our perception. So it's kind of like a, it's far distant highway noise was probably the biggest noise generator that upped my numbers. And then that one person with a muffler, they took off their car. that's blasting down the road. That usually is pretty loud. (laughs) But I, I guess in comparison, it'd be a lot like a, like your home AC unit or the fan unit, maybe not the high-powered AC unit you got to kick on when it's 90 degrees, but just a fan running in your home was typically the quietest I found. Hmm. What are the effects of quiet on you and on other people? I think, me personally, I my brain can run a lot more when there's less stimulus. I can kind of dig deep and think about some of the things I may have been pushing away. <laughs> and that's just personally. I, it is therapeutic for everyone in some way. Some people I know have taken into a an echoic chamber, which is where we do any kind of testing when we want zero noise in acoustics world. And they can kind of go a little crazy usually because they aren't used to such quiet. So it's the practice of trying to get into it more and more, make it a regular part of your week or your day, wherever you can find that quiet, you're going to start finding your own sense of peace. And it will reduce stress levels, reduce agitation levels, and hopefully bring people an ability to listen as well. Listen to what's around you, listen to those you're speaking to, but understand that quiet's okay. Even in a conversation, that awkward pause is just fine. Just like the quiet out in the woods you might hear, you might really find some peace and enjoy it. You mentioned a tree as a natural way to um, absorb sound or or maybe, a, you know, a wall uh, separating a freeway from a neighborhood. But how would you socially engineer a public space to be quieter? I think Tabor is lucky being at that volcano. So it's almost naturally already built to allow an area to be quiet or for people to find peace on the other side of the, the mountain itself. In design, there's been all kinds of failed designs where there's just walls put up and it creates almost a safety issue because it's such a it's a hard park to see into with all the walls. And seasonally, you might not have many leaves on the tree, 
so it can block a lot less noise. But I think vegetation is one of the best ways to do it. Shrubs that are evergreen that can stay up and kind of create a natural, I guess, guiding, like with the trails on Tabor. You follow a trail and it can connect you to another and just lead you a certain direction. So those groups that may be making some noise, or the, the dance group per se, that if they can kind of be guided with the natural trail, the natural flow of the area to a certain space that's much more communal and larger, like they do have above the reservoir, then that's a good way to not allow the noise to spread everywhere. And then if you're using shrubs on some of the other side, or some of the smaller areas, not let it be as large of a big opening, then that would probably deter big groups from wanting to make a bunch of noise there and allow some smaller groups or individuals to find peace in some of those areas. Jacob, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you. I wish you a quiet day. Yes, have a great day. And if, anyone, <laughs> if you are interested and anyone's interested in being a volunteer for Quiet Parks, we'd love to find the quiet that you know of. Jacob Schmidt is a volunteer technician with Quiet Parks International. He joined us to talk about quiet in general and Mount Tabor Park in southeast Portland, which was recently named the nation's first urban quiet park. Finally today, I feel like I need to whisper, but this is radio. You need to hear me. Finally today, our producer, Roly Hernandez, joins me to read some of your recent feedback. Hey, Roly. Hey, Dave. Um, so in May, we discussed a bill in Oregon legislature that would help those incarcerated access mental health treatment. LaDon Wilhelm said they were already supposed to open rehab places for all these people in the streets and in our parks, and they haven't done anything, as far as I can tell, to actually help the problem. They need to have mental health places for before people end up in prison. Chris Bednarik added, Measure 110 provides millions of dollars for addiction treatment. Oregon squanders it. We also heard from two high school students who want a new system for school funding. Ed Curtis from Beaverton wrote, I want to commend the two students that were arguing for a more equitable fund-sharing policy in the Portland Public School District with regard to money raised through local fundraisers and donations to a specific school foundation. I do think the perspective of the two young people would be much different, however, if they were parents. As a parent, I would not want to donate nor put in countless hours of my time to raise money through various fundraisers if my child were not going to receive the vast majority of those funds. Altruism is a fine idea, but in the real world, it is difficult to establish policy if there's not a majority opinion to bring about such a change in the first place. More recently, we heard how two-thirds of Oregon tourism comes from Oregonians. So we asked our listeners for some of their favorite spots. April Johnson said Hood River and Cannon Beach. Thomas Tracewell added the Central Coast. David Martin wrote, The Steens Mountain Loop and the drop down to the Alvor Desert, only place in Oregon where you can drive at 9,500 feet and then 60-plus square miles on a dry lake bed. Greg Halleck wrote, When I was 12, I asked my parents if we could go to Crater Lake for my birthday. So we did, back in 1988. Now that I live in Oregon, I visit nearly every year. My goal is to get my lungs in sufficient shape to bike around the crater rim. Yesterday, we spoke to a documentarian about the legacy of black soldiers who enlisted after the ratification of the 14th Amendment. Kelly Griffin wrote, Drew Hawley's answer to Dave's question as to why the Buffalo soldiers were called that was incorrect. He imagined it to be just a general term of respect for them from the Plains people. In actuality, the Plains people were enamored with the black men's coarse, dark, curly hair, which they thought resembled a buffalo's coat. 
Finally, we heard from a parent caregiver who has a who was part of a group that rallied at the Capitol recently asking for more funding. Liz LaMason wrote, I agree that a family caregiver should be paid for the care they provide for their loved ones. The amount of time, energy, and emotional sacrifice necessary to care for a disabled family member takes such an enormous toll on that individual that it makes it impossible to measure. I was shocked to hear about the mistakes made by nursing staff while caring for Callie's son. These errors in judgment are unacceptable and shocking. LaMason continued, Callie was being kind when she referred to these mistakes as human error. The fact that these kinds of errors do occur and continue to occur with nursing staff emphasizes a problem that needs addressing and identifies just how important the family member's care and involvement is for that person. We as a society have a duty to support and help the family caregiver in any way we can. Giving financial assistance to a family caregiver is one very important way we can do that. We always appreciate your comments, questions, and suggestions. Our voicemail number is 503-293-1983. You can also email us. Our address is thinkoutloud at opb.org. On Facebook, we're at opbtol. Thanks, Roly. You're welcome, Dave. Tomorrow on the show, as the fire season ramps up, we'll hear what preparation and planning looks like right now from one of the regional managers for the U.S. Forest Service in the Pacific Northwest. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, and Michael, Kristen, Andrew, and Anna Kern.